0: Hey, I'm Nancy Cavey, National ERISA and Individual Disability Attorney. Welcome to Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started, I've got to give you a legal disclaimer required by the Florida Bar. This podcast isn't legal advice, but I'm going to give you insights about the disability insurance world, the games that carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. So off we go. Disability carriers are not in the business of paying disability claims. That just doesn't help their bottom line. The golden rule is they're gonna collect your premium dollar and they're gonna rule that you are not disabled. And one of the most common tools in the disability carrier's arsenal that they'll use at all stages of a claim is the field interview. Now, in the first part of this episode, uh, I talked about the mistakes that you can make in giving a statement without representation letting the disability rats visit your house, mishandling questions about your medical condition, making mistakes in answering questions about why you can't work, making mistakes in answering questions about your treatment, uh, the side effects of medication uh, and the results you're having from treatment and mistakes that you're making in answering questions about your restrictions and limitations. In today's episode, I am going to be focusing on restrictions and limitations because this really is the, the, the heart of questioning that they will ask you. That's going to lay the foundation for other questions and ultimately a claim termination. So let's first talk about why the carrier is asking all these questions about your activity of the daily living when your doctor's already filled out forms and the common restrictions and limitations questions. Remember, if you're being called or contacted about a field interview, you are being set up for a claims denial. You need protection from yourself. Yes, I said yourself and from the carrier. Are you ready to learn more about the next mistakes that you can make in a field interview and hear another story about what the impact of those mistakes are? Great. Stay tuned.
1: I'll be back in a second. Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind, which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today. Welcome back. So
0: why? Why is a disability carrier asking all of those questions about your activity, of uh, daily living, when your doctor's already filled out these forms? Now, I'm spending four episodes of this podcast to talk about the field interview. I've seen too many claims denied because the policyholder thought, look, if I just talk with the insurance company representative or I meet with them, everything's gonna be fine. They're gonna see that I'm disabled. They're gonna see that I'm entitled to my benefits sorry to disappoint you. Your claim is in trouble if the long-term disability carrier calls you to take a statement or arrange a field visit. Now I will tell you it's not necessarily in trouble in an initial uh, application because statements are common but nonetheless you still need representation uh, and preparation in this statement. But my experience is if you are being uh, set up for a statement or a field visit while you're on diary or being paid benefits, they're setting you up for claims denial. So the purpose of the visit is first to determine if there's objective evidence of disability because your actions contradict what you say you can do, what you're telling your doctor, and what they have shot you on surveillance doing. Now they're also going to be taking this uh, statement because your doctor is relying on what you've had to say. And is rendering their opinion about your functionality based on what you've told them and that opinion is faulty and unreliable because you misrepresented to the doctor what you can and cannot do and they're taking this statement to prove that there's no causal relationship between your disability and your restrictions and limitations and your inability to engage in your own or any other occupation they don't like Restrictions and limitations assigned by your doctor. They want to punch holes in those restrictions and limitations. Now, I want you to remember: if you're at the uh, any occupation, I'm sorry, your own occupation stage, you have to prove that you can't do the material and substantial duties of your occupations designed by policy. Not your job, your occupation. And if your job or occupation rather is sedentary in nature, then they're really going to be trying to punch holes in those restrictions and limitations because they want to prove that you can go back to doing uh, some or all the material and substantial duties of your sedentary occupation. If you're at the any occupation stage, you have to prove that you can't do the material and substantial duties of any occupation by virtue of your training, education, experience, the skills that you've learned and those restrictions and limitations. Different standard of disability, uh, but a similar game here, okay? Now, I know that generally, Uh, when we are on claim or diary and you're being paid benefits, the disability carrier probably already has surveillance on you, and they are trying to set you up for that claims denial. They have a laundry list of questions that they're going to ask to help justify that claims denial or termination. Now, that isn't to say that they may not have surveillance on you at the initial application stage. I generally don't see that. But what I do see is the same game. Because once they take your statement, they uh, identify discrepancies. They're going to take that information to your treating physician and ask them to sign off on a letter that says you are capable of of at least uh, engaging in sedentary work. So what they've done is they've sprung a trap on you for the purposes of painting you as a liar, a malinger, or a fraud so that they can justify a claim denial or termination. Now, I think that you need the assistance of an experienced disability attorney, uh, and you need to be prepared. You want to be with someone such as myself who's reviewed your policy, your medical records, reviewed the forms you completed, discussed the format of and the questions with the adjuster in advance and try to negotiate uh, what those questions are going to be, uh, has prepared and practiced with you the questions and the answer, and someone who will protect you doing a statement and manage that statement. I'm always trying to control how that statement is going and what the uh, adjuster is asking. So today, I want you to make sure that you understand that the types of questions that you're going to get are not as simple as they may sound. And that each question is a trap. So let's start covering those questions in a minute. Let's take a quick break. all right welcome back are you ready we're going to be covering uh, mistakes number seven to, through 12 and these are questions that involve issues about restrictions and limitations now the questions are going to be about sitting walking standing lifting bending twisting squatting kneeling pushing pulling reaching climbing balance and the use of your hands now these topics are pretty exhaustive and you can spend minutes or even... Hours talking about each one of these issues, but let's give you a quick overview. Mistake number seven is questions about your restrictions and limitations in sitting. Now, this is a crucial question, and I'm not joking. If your own occupation involves sitting, the carrier's game is to show that you can sit long enough on your rear end that you can do this job. If you are at the own occupation stage and your job is sedentary, the game is on. They want to show that you can sit at least six out of eight hours a day. Why? Because if you can do that, you can do sedentary work. And the same game exists if you are at the any occupation stage. Because quite frankly, all they have to do is to show that you can engage in sedentary work. And that based on the skills that you've learned, based on your experience, based on your training, there is some other mythical not real world occupation that you can do that requires you to do sedentary work so that voila, they can terminate your benefits. So the questions about sitting can include what's the maximum number of hours you can sit at one time? What's the maximum number of hours can you sit during the day? Now there's a trap right there. They didn't ask minutes, they asked hours. That question is clearly misleading and designed to have you commit to hours and not minutes. And you can't give a hard and fast answer. I'm sure your ability to sit and stand depends on whether you're having a good day or a bad day, what you might have done the day before, what medication you're taking. Now, interestingly, that question doesn't ask, do you have to alternate sitting and standing? What problems do you have standing that interfere with your ability to function? How long do you have to sit before you develop symptoms that interfere with your ability to engage in activities of daily living? So how often do you have to alternate sitting and standing? In fact, you have to get in your recliner? Do you have to get in bed? Those questions are not asked. Regardless of the questions, I want you to qualify your answers so you're narrowing it in its scope into minutes and addressing your need to alternate sitting and standing. Mistake number eight, standing. You're going to be asked, how long can you stand? But it might be What's the maximum number of minutes you can stand or what's the maximum number of hours you can stand? Big difference. What happens to you after you stand that length of time? Does your pain level increase after you stand for that long? And what symptoms do you have when you stand for that long? Now, interestingly, again, what they're not asking is your need to alternate sitting and standing. How problems stand interfere with your ability to function how long you can stand before you develop symptoms that require you to change positions. Now, as I've said before, disability carriers use surveillance and they may have a picture of you doing something you say that you can't do. You may say, look, I can only stand for 15 minutes and they've got a tape of you standing longer than you said you could. They're gonna argue that you have not been truthful to your doctor about your abilities and they're gonna question Your doctor's reliance on your statements. So don't fall into that trap and make sure you're giving ranges. Good days, bad days, days you can do more. Mistake number nine, walking. Okay. Well, we all walk. We all walk every day. We walk uh, sometimes around the block. We might walk in the grocery store. Um, So they may ask you, how much can you walk? How far can you walk at one time? How far can you walk before your pain level increases without defining the term pain level on a scale of one to 10? How does your pain level increase? What happens if you walk too far? Well, what is too far? They haven't defined that. They let you define that. I don't like that. How much walking do you do during the day while performing activities like taking your children to school? Do you take them out of the car and walk them into the school? Do you go to the grocery store? How far do you walk in the grocery store? Or how much walking do you do from the parking lot of your doctor's uh, um, office into the doctor's office? Do you uh, spread your walking around? Um, In other words, um, do you um, one day walk a lot in the grocery store and then the next day uh, uh, take a walk in the park? Um, So they're trying to figure out whether or not you are, or how you're scheduling your walking, how you may spread it out. And back in the days when people walked in the mall, they may say, well, how far do you walk in the mall? Uh, They may ask you, but rarely do they. Do you sit down when you take a walk? And here's the killer question. Do you walk with a limp? How often do you walk with a limp? I promise you, I promise you, they will have a picture of you walking without a limp when you said that you limp all the time, okay? Do you need a cane or an assistive device? If you say, I use it all the time and they have a picture of you not using it all the time, you have you are causing them to question your credibility. When you go grocery shopping, are you hanging on to the cart or do you have to use um, uh, uh, the cart, uh, the electric cart? And if so, how often? And again, they're trying to catch you. If they ask you those kinds of questions, my little radar antenna are buzzing because I think they've got surveillance of you. Do you carry things when you walk? Well, of course you do. If you're a woman, you got a purse, okay? Um, so if so, how heavy? Now, some purses can weigh you know, less than a pound and some of them look like a suitcase. So you have got to make sure That you understand that ultimately this is not only a question about walking, but a question about lifting. Now, I want you to think about these questions and your answers so that you can explain what you can and cannot do. You can also need to be uh, able to explain how your pain and medications impact your activities. And you have to explain good days and bad days. As I've said, never say never. Don't say I never walk. I never walk more than a block. I never fill in the blank. They will have a picture of you doing what you said you never did. And you also should never say always. Don't say, I always use a cane. I always walk with a limp. I always fill in the blank. I promise you that they're going to have a picture of you doing what you said you, uh, not doing what you always said you did. Okay. So ranges, good days, bad days, no absolute answers that they can hang their hats on. All right.
1: Let's take a quick break. Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? You need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy, with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com.
0: Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. You didn't know that there were so many mistakes that you could make uh, in your disability claim when the carrier calls asking for a field statement, but we're not done. We've got a lot more to go. Mistake number 10 is questions about lifting, carrying, bending, and twisting. Now, I gave you a little hint about that earlier. They like to ask broad, open ended questions that are hard to accurately answer, but can be traps. So the questions may be, well, how much can you lift and carry? Remember, if you can lift more than 10 pounds, you've met or meeting the definition of sedentary work. They may ask you to give an example of something you can carry without being uncomfortable. What on earth is that question? That is like so open-ended. It doesn't ask what you carry, how long you carry it, what they mean by uncomfortable. They let you dig yourself a hole and bury yourself in it. Now, have you lifted more than 10 pounds? Of course you have. Most people lift gallons of milk. They're at least eight pounds. Um, If you have young children or grandchildren, unless they're an infant, they probably weigh more than 10 pounds. So you probably have lifted 10 pounds. And if you say no, well, you cause yourself some trouble. But if you say, I might occasionally lift 10 pounds or on a good day, I might be able to lift 10 pounds, uh, but I will pay for it the next day. and And the range of what I can lift is this to that, okay? Now, again, I think the real issue here is frequency of the lifting that you're doing and the consequences that you pay for lifting. Now the questions that I just reviewed don't ask you how much you can lift without having symptoms, how much you can lift repetitively, how much you can lift repetitively without having to stop. Uh, And of course that question doesn't take into consideration real life lifting situations in the workplace. And again, your answers are going to be compared with that surveillance tape. If they catch you lifting more than what you say, they're going to say, gotcha. Your answers are going to be given to the doctor and they're going to say, look. They say in their activity daily living form that they can't lift 10 pounds. We've got a picture of her lifting 15 pounds. Um, Do you agree that they could work at a sit down job uh, even with lifting up to 10 pounds, 15 pounds? Well, the answer, of course, is going to be yes. But here's the other intangible. Well, no, actually, it's pretty tangible. What you can lift and carry depends on the size of the object, its weight, whether you're lifting it off the floor, lifting it off the table, um, how many times you lift it, whether you've got to bend, twist, lift, and squat. Okay. So remember, uh, if you're asked about these bending and squatting issues, uh, the the question again is going to be, for example, uh, do they have a picture of you picking up a case of beer out of the uh, grocery cart, lifting it up, Well, so you bent over, you picked it up, and you lifted it up, and then you twisted to put it over your trunk, and then you bent over, and you put it in the trunk. Well, they've got you here, twisting, bending, and if you say you can't do it and the picture says that you can, well, you're in trouble. So, again, no absolute answers here. Ranges and estimates. Make it clear that you can may be able to do it on a good day, that you have difficulties doing it, that you pay the price. All right. Mistake number 11, squatting and kneeling. Now, they may ask, are you able to squat to sit in the chair? or to the floor. You use the toilet, don't you? So of course you can squat. Uh, That's a really um, bad question. But the next question is going to be, uh, can you, do you have any symptoms? They may ask you that, generally they don't, but if they do, what are the symptoms that you experience? Do you need assistance from someone or hold on to something to get up from a squatted position? Okay, so let's say you're in the grocery store and you need to get something on the bottom shelf. Are you going to bend? Are you going to squat? Are you going to do both? Do they have a picture of you doing that? If they're asking you that kind of question, the answer is probably yes. Now they may ask you, can you kneel? What symptoms do you experience? Do you, what, do you need assistance? Now, for those of us who are churchgoers, you are in church, you pull out the, uh, the prayer bench, and you kneel to prayer, to, to, to say a prayer. So of course, you're able to squat, but it may hurt like the Dickens to squat. So again, these questions are designed to see whether or not you are being consistent with what it is you're telling your doctor, what you say you can and cannot do. Now. For those guys out there, and I don't mean to be sexist, but a lot of my clients like to wash their cars. They take pride in the appearance of their uh, car and they'll kneel to clean the hubcaps or some people are gardeners and they'll squat or kneel to pull weeds or plant flowers. Amazingly, the long-term disability carrier is gonna interpret those activities as the equivalent of work activities. So be truthful, tell them, Yeah, you know, I washed the car. It was a nice sunny day. I was having a good day. I took my pain medication uh, and I washed it and I bent and I kneeled and it's a shining, gleaming, beautiful car. But you know something? My back hurts like crazy and I had to go in, take a ton of pain pills and I went to sleep and I hurt the next day and I couldn't get out of bed. Okay. Mistake number 12, the use of your hands. Now, this is crucial. It's crucial for a number of reasons. Let's say you are engaged in an occupation that requires bilateral manual dexterity, like typing. Let's say your claim involves a herniated cervical disc with pain radiating down into your arms or you've got carpal tunnel. Look, um, if you can't do the full range of sedentary work because you have issues with bilateral manual dexterity, then the carrier has got some problems. So if you've got problems with your hands, your arms, your upper extremities, uh, that can be a problem for them because part of uh, sedentary work is the ability to engage in bilateral manual dexterity. You may be asked um, questions about what's your dominant hand, how often you use your hand, Uh, Can you button your buttons? Can you pick up coins? Uh, Can you turn uh, doors, Uh, you know, open doors? Uh, uh, Can you write? Can you type? Can you hold a coffee cup? How long can you hold a coffee cup? I want you to be thinking carefully about those answers because we want to demonstrate that you have problems with the full use of your hands and fingers. So you might have problems opening a jar, buttoning a button, unlocking doors, doing those things that require manual dexterity or bilateral manual dexterity. Think carefully about that question because we know for the most part that we use our hands all day, day in and day out. But you may have difficulty doing it. You may have to uh, stop or start the activity. Uh, you may have tingling or numbness. You may then start to drop things. You may have to use splints or braces. Um, You may have difficulties uh, with your shoulders where you're reaching out in front of you. So we've got to think of the manipulative restrictions and limitations and problems that you have and talk about ranges. Give examples. Good days, bad days. Um, Don't answer these open ended questions that will lead the carrier to say you've been exaggerating and that the doctor should not be relying on your comments about your restrictions and limitations in their, and rendering their opinion about the level of work capability that you've got. So I want you to take the time to think through these questions, look for the open-ended nature of the question, and you reframe the question in a way that's accurate and complete, that takes into consideration pain, side effects of medication, good days and bad days. Wow, i have giving you a lot to think about but we're not done. We have got more mistakes to cover. So in the next episode, I'm going to be continuing on uh, about uh, problems and mistakes that you can make, answering questions about restrictions and limitations. Remember, this is the carrier's game and you need to stay in this game. If you like this podcast, consider liking our page, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends and family. Remember, this podcast comes out weekly, so stay tuned for next week's episode of Winning Isn't Easy. Thanks.